Hello and welcome to Next on WQLN. I'm your host, Marcus Atkinson. If you're on social media, follow us on Twitter at 814NEXT. Like our page on Facebook. Feel free to comment on both platforms. Lend your voice to the dialogue. Thank you for tuning in. Today we talk about planning for our futures and organizing our neighborhoods. And uh, to help us really unpack that topic, the first guest that we have is a guest that has played a very pivotal role in City Hall and the plans of Erie and Erie's future for that matter, Kathy Rosnick. Kathy, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm, I'm very pleased to be here. All right. Thank you for coming on. So you are the planning director for the city of Erie. That is correct. Okay. Talk a little bit about your career choice, first of all, because I'll be honest, <laughs> I'd never heard of an urban planner before I met you. And um, I've been very curious about it. Now, looking at the role from this side of the equation in the city, I see the value of it. Um, give us your background in that, how you became interested and your educational background in it. Well, like most planners, we just happen to fall into this. There's no, there's no child at the age of eight who thinks that they're gonna grow up to be a planner right. because no one really knows what they are until you, until you experience it yourself or you see the value like you have in the work that you do. Um, I actually, I fell into the, the position of learning about planning. I was in Texas, right outside um, um, Fort Hood, Texas, working for a small city as their grant writer in the, a planning department. Had never heard about a plan, what a planning department is, what they do until that time. And at that moment, at that time, they were also doing their first comprehensive plan. Um, there was a lot of turnover at, at, in the city. They were experiencing some tremendous growth because of the build out at Fort Hood. Um, and so it was that sink or swim moment that you're either gonna absolutely fall in love with the, a position or you're going to hate every second of it. I fell in love with the work. I loved the idea of being a problem solver, working with community members to help improve their, their situation, whatever that was. And um, I said, well, I need, I need to learn more about this. And then I ended up in Michigan and I went to, um, I got into grad school at University of Michigan for urban planning. Okay. And after that, I was a planning consultant and then I worked in the private, or the private sector for about 12 years, went into the public sector, working as a planning and development director in, in West Virginia. And now here I'm the planning director for the city of Erie. So when did Erie land on your radar as a professional? How did all that come about? Well, I actually moved here for family reasons about four years ago, and I was the planning director for Erie County. Uh, when I moved here, I made the, the, the mistake of thinking that there would be a lot more planning happening uh, at the municipal level than there really was. I was sort of surprised that they didn't have, the city of Erie didn't have a planning department and uh, a, a really robust planning function for the size of the city that it was. Um, so also came in the middle of Erie Refocus, the city's comprehensive plan being completed, and that was an exciting time. I fell into that because I, I was a planner and I'm a resident of the city of Erie. And, um, once that was completed and the new administration um, uh, sort of took over at the city, they wanted to they wanted to instill a planning process, and that started with hiring someone who was going to sort of push um, a, a more planning, a more proactive agenda for the city, and that was where I where I was asked to join. I remember that moment in your war room, if yeah. you will, when you sort of explained not just what you do, but the value of that for Erie and you walk through this very comprehensive, uh, you've got sticky notes all over the place, you've got, no, and, and I was so fascinated because again, I knew very little, if anything, 
about this profession. You were very passionate, very knowledgeable, but I was very ignorant, for lack of a better term, of the value of this profession. How was it received when you first started talking to people, when you got into this original position for the, the county? How was it received when you told people what you did and what your profession was? Was there a lot of misconceptions? Did people know about it, understand it? Well, when I, when I was working with the county, we really did sort of change direction. We wanted to be much more impactful to the local government, the municipalities. And so we did a tremendous amount of outreach, helping to build capacity and working with the municipalities in determining their goals in their future. Um, so that was a little bit of a change in the direction than the, the department had been in the, in the past. They'd always had very good relationships with municipalities, so it was sort of e easy to make that, that cor or that uh, redirect in our mission. Um, but it was a very slow process getting people to understand the value of planning and taking some time to come together and really understand what are, what are your assets, what do you want to protect, what do you want to be in the, in the future, and that's what planners do. We want to see where do we want to be in 10 years and then take the time to understand how you put policies, programs in place to get there. And sometimes people have, I think the hardest part of being a planner is some people don't have the patience to want to do, um, to want to take, to invest the time to think that, that broadly. Um, when I started with, you brought up the war room, because that always brings a smile to my face, because it was such a, um, it was such a, it was a very creative and instantaneous thing that, that the county planning wanted to do for the city of Erie. And we called it the war room because it was kind of a joke. We said, no, no planner ever gets a war room. And we think it's going to be really messy. We don't know what it's going to look like. Right. It's probably going to be more like a war room. And we made, as you saw, those giant maps of the downtown um, and, the, and the east and west Bayfront neighborhoods because we, we wanted it big because we wanted it to be in people's faces. When they came in, you could not help but see where the connections were, what the what the trajectory of the city needed to be. And we added post-it notes because we didn't have a budget. We didn't, you don't have to, it doesn't take a, a large budget to actually start thinking about what, what makes sense and where we need to go. Um, but it was probably one of the proudest things that professionally I've been a part of. And I say a part of because it wasn't me, it was a whole team of people. Absolutely. Um, who put that together, who dedicated their time and effort to make that happen, and, I, and resulted in what I think is a, is, a very, um, is a very good process that we were then to, able to instill in City Hall. And so now you're at City Hall. To the best of your knowledge, has City Hall ever had a dedicated planning director? To the best of my knowledge, no. The last, uh, everyone says that the last dedicated planner was 50 years ago. Um, I think they've had positions that, that filled uh, various roles of, of planning as, as you would normally, but actually having a planning director. And it's probably the first time I've been in a situation where I've asked just to focus on planning. A lot of times planners get um, dual roles of being zoning officers or land development reviewers. Um, sometimes they, you know, they can even do more, more code enforcement. Um, this is the first time I've been able to really just focus on planning, but also define what that is for a municipality. And it's, it's both exciting and a little terrifying all at the same time. You mentioned Erie's comprehensive plan. So once upon a time, the administration prior to this one 
embarked on this journey to have a plan developed for the city without having someone in a position like yours. And now in hindsight, I look back and I say, well, that, that's kind of interesting. So the whole comprehensive plan that we have now for the listeners, talk about that plan, the birth of that plan, how this administration has officially adopted that plan. Walk us through that whole process. Yeah, uh, you know, that it, it probably was started five or six years, started before I even came to right. Erie County. And it was, a, it was a collaboration between Erie County Planning and the city of Erie wanting to sort of take what had been done with Destination Erie at the time and then do, which was a countywide regional plan, and then drill it down to let's do a, let's really look at the city and, and determine what the city city's comprehensive plan should be. So the fun, a lot of the funding came from county resources or, or county functions, and then the city was at the table to, to develop that. When I, when I came into Erie County, they were about midway through that process, so those consultants had already been selected. From what people have shared with me, they really wanted a consultant that wasn't very traditional in the way that they approached community development, and I think that's what they got with CZB and Charles Buki and his team. Uh, he was, a, he was a, a guy, and so was his, his team, that didn't hold, hold their punches. They came in, they had a um, very... Uh, fresh way of looking at cities, the health of cities, and really looking at neighborhoods as being the barometer of whether or not the city is doing well or if it's, or if it's failing. And they've, that's why the focus of Erie Refocused is, let's look at each neighborhood, the uniqueness of it, and where does it start? Uh, where do you start stabilizing and improving it, strengthening it? Um, and for me, that, that, seemed, that seemed spot on. It really does the way they they drill down the data, look at um, look at what's happening in each neighborhood, and then come come to terms with you got to make some decisions. You can't be all things to all people, and you got to start somewhere. And that's really what your refocus does is sort of drills it. That's why it's called refocused. Mm -hmm. You just focus in on what matters and start there. So you touched on my next question a little bit. When you first saw this plan, give us your reaction to it, your critique of the plan from the first time you read it through? I, one, I was struck with how easier of a read it is. I think uh, start to finish it's 40 pages, which is um, pretty minimal uh, amount of documentation. Uh, but I take it usually they're larger? Usually they can be much, much larger. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't subscribe to that strain, strain of thought. I don't think you get paid by the page you get paid, you should get paid for the content. And does it really matter? Um, and I thought that Erie Refocus did a very good job of explaining what the situation for the city was and why it occurred, and that we needed to really um, get our heads out of the sand and start thinking uh, very specifically about how to change the, 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 the direction of the city. Um, and it also brought, you could see that, that it was, celebrated by the community, in a lot of ways, by the community as a whole. You have private sector who was stepping up to the plate saying, this is our plan too, we want to do something to, we want to make sure we, we support it. I think the, the, the one piece that I have heard criticism of is that it lacked maybe a, a more public input. Um, and so that's why in my new role at the city, we're actually doing a tremendous amount of community engagement um, in helping to implement the plan. So. It's, um, it's really something to sort of fill the, the gap of what was 
part of the initial process. We're going back and we're working with residents, as you know, mm -hmm. with our Summer of Hope initiative, going door to door, talking to them, uh, really getting an understanding of what's going on in, in, in their lives, and do they support the recommendations of Erie Refocused, and where they don't, we, we modify it. And that's it's a living document, which is the way it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. It's been very interesting and fascinating to watch you work and to try to pull all of these different elements together, neighborhoods, business, um, things along those lines. What have the challenges been for you in this role thus far? I think the first, the first challenge was building trust with this community. And one of the, the first things that we did when we came in as administration, we started having hosting community conversations and listening tours. We went into, and, and we just so happened to do a number of those alongside the school district, who was also going through some, um, some struggles with with growth and decline and and new strategic plan. New strate well. Yep, and we thought. We need to show that this is an administration that wants to be a part of this community. We want to be engaged. Uh, we're here to listen uh, and try to respond accordingly. So we held we held a prop. I th I think by the by the time we were done, I or some member of the administration had been to over forty different meetings. Um, most of them were a lot of them were the larger meetings, the community conversations. Some of them were small one on one meetings with uh, new Americans and refugees. Um, it, we went to almost every neighborhood group and met with, met with them, listened to them. So the first, the first piece was to trust that we're here to do something different. And what that something is, um, I think uh, we, we define uh, differently depending on the, the situation at hand, but it's always done with a, the highest level of transparency that we, we think we can do um, and with a lot of conversation with community organizations. It's also trying to find, it's so much easier to work in a community that you have some of the neighborhood organizations that you're gonna be talking with uh, today. It's so much easier when you have a group like that to go in and because they know what's, what's going on, they know the history, and they know the people who, who are really sort of um, spearheading change in their neighborhoods. So it's so much easier from uh, my standpoint to go in and say, where can we help? How do we collaborate and coordinate your efforts more? What, does, what can City Hall do, do for you? And it just makes the process much easier when you have something like that. When you don't, it's gonna be a little bit more challenging. And we're sort of, sort of getting into areas now where we don't necessarily have a strong neighborhood group that we can work with. So we're trying to figure out, okay, what does that look like in our lives? But we still need to work in those neighborhoods and, and uh, help to strengthen them as well. I've done quite a bit of research on planning and just the value of it in every city and the necessity of it. If you are really trying to build uh, sustainable cities, if you want it to be comprehensive, if you want it to flow all in, in the same direction, People read all the time, all the time about the different things going on in Erie, the exciting movement in Erie, and whether it's business, neighborhoods, and again, we'll touch on neighborhoods again shortly, but help the audience understand what this would look like if you didn't have someone intentionally looking at the plan for Erie. If you had all of this excitement, all of these different agencies and entities wanting to do this great work as they are right now, minus someone wanting to pull it together, what would that look like? I, I th mm, that's a good question. It, um, it, it does help to have a central point of contact. 
I, I don't necessarily, I, I can't take credit for a lot of the stuff that's going on in the city. That is um, a lot of dedicated nonprofits and private sector agencies that, are, that want to improve their livelihoods or improve, improve the, the population that they're working with. But I think it does help to have a central centralized point of contact where you can say, we're working on this, and I can be the person who says, well, did you realize that these, these other things are, are happening? Or perhaps we want to rethink the direction you're going because we, it could impact something negatively. Um, that, there's, there's the value of planning. And also, what's the, what's the next step? So people who are doing this work that you're referring to are so hyper-focused on their goal, which they should be. And really the planner's, the planner's role in that respect is, okay, that's great, but now we need to start thinking a year, two years, five years down the road. What's this, is this, is this impact that, you're, that this agency is gonna do, is this going to be a benefit to us in the, in the future, or is there something that, that could be a negative that we need to address now? And yeah, I can only start, speak in generalities at this point, um, but that I think the one of the the key pieces of, of of a planning position is being able to sort of start always thinking forward of what what's the next step that we have to take. As we segue into introducing our next two guests, Erie Neighborhood Growth Partnership (ENGP), mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit for the listeners and the viewers who don't know what that is and the purpose that it serves. Erie Neighborhood Growth Partnership is uh, a, an organization, a partnership that brings together all of the various neighborhood groups um, together to help. Right now, it's, it's really been focused on networking and learning what every, uh, every one of these groups are doing and how they can work together. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of strengths, uh, different strengths that each one of them brings to the table. Um, and I think just bringing them together once a month for one, an hour, hour and a half, um, helps tremendously. We're also able, because we're bringing them together uh, uniformly, we're also able to bring um, s different levels of speakers and topics that's pertinent and important to them. So we're really, we're using this group um, and this bringing together as a way to not only collaborate, but as a, as a way to help build capacity within these, the, what's really the lifeblood of the city, our, our neighborhood organizations. Um, we're, this week when we meet, we're, we've already established that we're gonna be setting sort of a work plan for the group. We think we're, we're, we're very comfortable working together. Um, and, but now it's time to say, okay, what's, what's the next step? What do we really wanna accomplish in, in a year? But there's tremendous power in, in bringing all of these vital organizations together at the table with the city, with the redevelopment authority. So it really brings this, this, um, this whole process together um, and strengthens all of our neighborhood groups at one time. So I think it's been a, it's been a great way to, um, and we have a, an AmeriCorps VISTA who's dedicated to this, the work of the neighborhood groups. Again, adding some extra capacity is, is, is incredibly vital. This is Next on WQLN. I'm your host, Marcus Atkinson. We are in studio with Kathy Rosnick. We are talking about planning for our future, the future of our city and organizing our neighborhoods. Kathy is the, uh, direct, the planning director for the city of Erie. And we've been discussing not just her role in the city, but the role of a planner in general and the value of a planner to a city's comprehensive plan. To help us talk more about organizing our neighborhoods, we bring on two new guests to this new segment. First to my left is Anna Franz, the executive director of Our West Bayfront. Anna, welcome to the show. 
Thank you so much. So um, pleased to be here. All right. And Heather Casper, Executive Director of the Sisters of St. Joseph's Neighborhood Network, East and West, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Heather, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. So, Anna, we'll start with you, because I know that our West Bayfront had its own comprehensive plan for their neighborhood. Talk a little bit about your service area and how this plan came about. So the, the Our West Bayfront footprint um, is basically the residential neighborhoods that are located directly to the west of the, the downtown business district. We serve an area that's home to about 13,000 residents, um, uh, roughly 70 blocks or so. So it's a sizable portion of the city, and it's right within the downtown core that is so prominently discussed in Erie Refocused as being critical to the city's future. Mm-hmm. About, um, I would say, 2012, 2013, um, there was an increasing awareness among many of the community leaders in that area, um, including Gannon University, the MLK Center, um, HANS, the nonprofit working um, with with neighborhood residents, um, as well as just resident leaders, that the area, um, despite the assets that we have there, we had struggles that weren't adequately being addressed. Um, There was no strategy for the community itself. Um, So conversations ensued, surveys ensued, and that led to a formal neighborhood planning process that took place um, right at the same time as the city's comprehensive plan was being developed. Um, That was, I think, a little bit accidental, frankly, um, but it worked out beautifully because what it meant is that when Erie Refocused was finished, the Our West Bayfront Community Plan was also being completed um, and pointing to some of the, the, the specific solutions um, that we could undertake within the neighborhood um, that would support the city's future and development as well. So excellent. Heather, talk to us about your service area, how you came into this role and the work of the SSJ. The SSJ just has so many it's a far-reaching ministry, if you will, or organization. So bring us some specificity in terms of how your organization fits into this big SSJ thing. I think many of us admire the work overall that they do. So your service area and, and your organization, tell us about that. Well, the Sisters of St. Joseph have been in Erie, of course, for decades and mm-hmm. decades and have done so much. Um, very few people, I think, know the origin of the neighborhood network, though, begins in the mid-90s. Um, the sisters were running St. Vincent Hospital, and uh, they were, the hospital, and I think this was a national movement, very concerned about the health of the neighbors immediately surrounding the hospital. Um, I think that this was something that was, like I said, nationwide. Uh, the St. Vincent Hospital commissioned a study, actually, about the health and the quality of life of the residents immediately surrounding St. Vincent. And so uh, an outcome of this and and getting a handle on what the needs were for those residents, they put together uh, the Neighborhood Network, which was started by two sisters just living out of their car, um, going door to door, and then surveying residents and saying, okay, you know, this is kind of the data that we have from this study, but what is it that you need from us. What is it? that So so the very first programs uh, started in Little Italy, and it was a soup kitchen to begin with, talking about uh, the needs of uh, fam- uh, single moms and families, um, nutrition. It was really health-based. That was the very start of it. So it really started as a social service uh, agency and offering some programs there. 
it, it's just within the last 10 years that actually um, the idea of revitalization and the built environment, and um, it's, it's one thing. And we still have the soup kitchen, oldest program still going every Monday night at St. Paul's. Um, and after school tutoring and mentoring, uh, all of those programs are still happening. Uh, but adding in the revitalization piece and addressing blight, um, working with the city to bring in uh, some streetscaping, like all the work that's happened over the last five years to, re to redo uh, 18th Street, that's more, that's newer, but still has been happening for quite some time. About five years ago then, we spread, we decided to move east of State that Street. The next question. Yeah, and so, and, and start working on those neighborhoods too, uh, assisting in the neighborhoods that are east of State Street. So the full footprint now goes from 12th Street back to 26th Street. And then on the east, it actually starts at East Avenue, McKinley, just right there along the Bayfront Highway, and spreads the whole way over to Cranberry Street in the west. So it's quite a big footprint and lots of diverse neighborhoods within that area. And some of them, like Center City, uh, already had some organization and so in those areas you know we try to support anything that's going on there and other areas then we're a little more involved mm -hmm. and this this work is being done all over the city i mean i would be remiss if i didn't mention people like john villa and the work that they're doing with snoops and gary horton's east side grassroots coalition and gary well actually jeremy blazer was going to come on and had a schedule conflict uh, for best on the Lower West Side or Lower East Side, that is. I know from a survey standpoint, I mean, we have learned quite a bit from organizations like yours because we're one of the newest organizations to kind of, you know, come into this and say we'd like to do this work as well. Give us the challenges that you two have run into in these positions. For our organization, mm -hmm. which was um, formally incorporated in late 2016 and really didn't get fully started up until 2017, um, is that I feel like we're playing catch up. Um, it is wonderful to feel the energy and, and be a part of the progress that's taking place in the city. I wish that we had been able to start 10 years earlier within the neighborhoods, the West Bayfront neighborhoods, um, to make sure that we have you know, strong relationships at the block by block level throughout our, thir our population of 13,000, um, and to have some you know, more programs and policies um, in place so that as things move forward on the citywide basis, we're not, we're not playing catch up. We're kind of ahead, a couple steps ahead. Heather, what about you? I think it's probably everybody would say capacity. There's, you know, and it's, I sometimes even feel a little bit bad saying that with uh, Jeremy and Anna because we, we have, the, the capacity with, with our staff at the Neighborhood Network and the volume of volunteers that we have helping. Uh, but still, it's, it's easy to see for that one person that you can serve, that you can meet their needs. You know, there's three people that need something that you can't provide. Right. And so, you know, whether that's through funding or just needing more time or needing to clone all of, all of us, you know, that's the challenge is just seeing what needs to be done and figuring out how best to tackle that and get done as much as you can. Mm -hmm. Kathy, how critical is it to have voices of these agencies represented in the process as the city moves forward in order for us to succeed? It's absolutely essential. I mean, it makes our job a lot easier because now I, I've got one person I can go to and say, okay, what's, what's your highest priority, Heather 
or margarita um, and how can we help and and it's not you know we're always having conversations so it's not we never have to we never have to do that but it's so much easier when you've got oh, at least one voice who can sort of speak for an entire neighborhood you know Anna can sort of cover 13,000 people that we're not having to ask the same question for. Um, so it's it makes our, our job easier. Like I said, now we're now when we start to move into other neighborhoods that don't have an organization, they, they may have a neighborhood watch that can help. Um, it's going to be a little bit more challenging. It's not saying that we can't do it. We're just going to have to figure out how do we gather the voices of that that neighborhood and come set start set setting some priorities. It's just a little bit more challenging to organize them um, to come together. So. Is there more need for or for neighborhoods to organize like this, in your opinion, or do you believe that we have an adequate amount of representation for our neighborhoods in the city of Erie? That's a good question, honestly. I've because I've thought back and forth. We've, we we. We all took a trip to Youngstown, and, and they, you know, Youngstown for the entire city of 67, 65,000 people, they have some, somewhat of a single source for neighborhood uh, development in, in the Neighborhood Development Corporation. And one leaves there thinking, oh, well, that seems to be a very efficient way of doing things. But then you also realize, well, we have a very efficient way of of doing things in the organizations that are so strong here. So I don't know if organizing each neighborhood is absolutely essential. Um, I think um, giving, making sure that we have a process by which we can have these open lines of communication that make sense, that's probably our biggest struggle. I think if the process was a little bit easier, how do we collect, um, how do we have conversations with, with neighborhoods that aren't organized? I mean, there's a way to do it. I just haven't figured it out quite yet. Is it through more social media? Um, is it through an, an app where people can can talk about or share with the, with City Hall what the the biggest issues that they're having walking to school or uh, going to the park or not having a park or things like that? Um, I think that there's a there's a way. We just have to figure out how to to um, get that that communication that line of communication in a very effective manner with those neighborhoods that are organized. So I, I'm not necessarily thinking we need to organize every neighborhood. Um, I think you can find, and, and the, the others here can certainly testify to this, that there's there are resident leaders that are in those neighborhoods and we just have to plug into them as well. And one of those resident leaders is the chairman of your board now, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, right? yes. Candace Battles. That's right. She is a... Um, a lioness, if you will, <laughs> That's a great one. in, in her <laughs> yeah. neighborhood. I mean, so yeah. I, give us the value of just having these local voices embedded into the fabric of your agencies. Yeah. So for for those of you who don't know Candace, and I think there are very few, very because few. if you go with on a walk with her throughout the neighborhood, if she doesn't know you, she knows your your father, your cousin. Mm -hmm. She you know she she's got that connection. And their babysitters. And their if babysitters. And you do not know Candace Battle. You are very very new to the Lower West yeah. Side. I'm sorry, yeah. but go ahead. So you know she. I, I mean, I, gosh, I could I could speak for an hour about the value that she brings to to the to our organization. Um, but those relationships is the of primary importance because there's no way that I can know thirteen thousand people. But when we have a board that knows and has a has a relationship with many of those leaders in the community, um, that helps us get connected. It helps us have those conversations that you know you, you might not feel comfortable having in a in a big public meeting. But maybe you can have in a quieter one-on-one -on -one, um, 
type of way. And then she's also a cha you know just a champion and a mobilizer. Um, and that's where the I think the the value of these neighborhood organizations really comes comes out. One of our primary goals is to build capacity within the neighborhood. It's never going to be just our West Bayfront as an organization trying to solve all these problems. It's about the community together Absolutely. or subsets of the community coming together to to solve the problems on their block. Um, and, and so we've got to have volunteers, we have to have organizations coming together to do that. And that's what the kind of glue that Candace um, mm -hmm. helps to provide. Talk about the community champion, Heather, or champions that um, lend their voices to what you do at Sister St. Joseph's and really helps define uh, the work in your neighborhood. Since the footprint is so big, there's not just one. And it's... Um, I think we've touched on it a lot of times with the relationships, that being such a big part of an organization because like Candace is, and you know, and Candace comes to our farmer's market, she knows everybody in our neighborhoods too. So, um, and she's a, she's a champion for those, for everybody. Um, but I would say with all of the diverse neighborhoods, I mean, really Erie is a city of neighborhoods. And I think, I think it always has been, um, just the way that it's been settled over the years. And so you find those leaders that come up, but as a neighborhood organization, plugging into those people, um, especially in some of the neighborhoods where it's, uh, people maybe are moving in and out, but you have a few that are consistent and stay there. Um, but in, you know, if I, I can't point to one because I'd have to go through and I'd mm -hmm. have to say in Little Italy, it's this person and over in Washington Park, it's this person on the east side, it's this person. So, um, but certainly people like Paul Gamble that's been, you know, working for years and years in the center city mm -hmm. area, you know, and he's kind of reviving some of that activity right now, um, over South Parade, east side, there's a whole lot of families actually that have lived there. Uh, in spite of the perception that people are moving in and out, uh, there are families that have lived there 30 years. And some of those, they are just anchors for those neighborhoods. And so bringing them together and then uh, with all of the new Americans that, are, that have been moving you know, over the years, moving into all of our neighborhoods, really, um, I think that that is, it could be a challenge, but I think that that goes back to your question. I think it's really important to have the neighborhood groups because Kathy couldn't hope to have those ongoing relationships and keep uh, keep track of everybody and um, have that voice if you didn't have the neighborhood groups. Mm -hmm. To stay with you for just a minute, I saw on the news that there there were a group of residents that expressed concern about a new club that was being started in their neighborhood, nightclub, whatever. You were there at that meeting. Why is it important to you to be present in situations like this when neighbors are expressing their frustrations about some of the things that are happening? Why, why, what's the value of that? In a word, it, it's support. Um, and this is not a new issue. It's also been in the news, similar situation happening down on in Anna's neighborhood. Um, I think that the neighborhoods are really, um, with, the, with the code, the, the way that things are zoned, uh, they really are family, they're designed for families. And so um, the streets are narrow enough for parking, certainly, but pe all, everybody's houses are, you know, you've got your front porch that's pretty close to the road. And so um, the way that the city was designed originally, you'd have these corner markets and you would have um, just mixed in, mixed use neighborhoods. 
but some of those old corner markets, if they're being taken over, if they're being used as a bottle club, say, or after hours club or a bar, um, there's not the parking uh, surrounding them. There's not uh, a buffer for noise, say, if the, if the place closes at 2 o'clock in the morning and everybody's out on the streets. Well, these are family neighborhoods where kids or parents are trying to get their kids to sleep so that they can get up and go to school in the morning. You know, there's, there are so many issues involved that, that you, you want to make sure by going to these meetings and making sure that people come to the meetings uh, you want to make sure that everybody's voices are heard. It's it's really easy to be the person who's on the forefront of social media or in the news. I mean, I've, you've got something new that you're going to try in the neighborhood, and that's not bad. It's it's good for you to try stuff and really try to bring people together, but you can't do that forgetting mm-hmm. the context mm-hmm. of what you're moving into. So it's you know there's a push and a pull. Mm-hmm. To stay with that same theme at theme, and I know that. You've had your nuisance bar issues on the Lower West Side. You had the fire that broke the hearts of all of Erie. How do you support, how does your agency support the neighborhood when tragedy strikes like that? Well, that's a tough one. I mean, that was a tragedy that obviously went far beyond our neighborhood. It, it really went national. Um, you know, I think one of the things that we do is to provide support to the to the neighbors to come together. So with the nuisance bar issue, um, that we found our neighborhood champion um, and provided him with the resources and, and the support and literally making copies to be able to bring his neighbors together to address the very real issue that was um, impacting many of them. Um, that started, in that in that particular case, that nuisance bar issue started two years ago, and um, that group has, has kept meeting. And you know, we, we, we don't want to see, we hate to see that neighbors come together out of a, a, an issue, out of mm-hmm. a problem, but yeah. that is the reality, that, that that's what brings people out in, in many cases. Um, so we just try to be there and help provide whatever resources that will make that, um, you know, continue those conversations going in both good times and in, in, in more difficult times. This is Next on WQLN. I'm your host, Marcus Atkinson, planning for our future and organizing our neighborhoods. We're in studio with Kathy Rosdick, who is the Director of Planning for the City of Erie, Anna Franz, Executive Director of Our West Bayfront, and Heather Casper, Executive Director of Sisters of St. Joseph's Neighborhood Network East and West. So, <laughs> recently, you all traveled to Atlanta. We all traveled to Atlanta to just listen to best practices from people who do similar work. As you're traveling to, and not just on the, in Atlanta, you mentioned Youngstown, and we've done this in various cities. Kathy, we'll start with you. As you travel abroad and you listen to other people, how, how does that put Erie into perspective for you versus the work that's being done abroad? What are we getting right? What do we need to work on? Give us a comparison. Uh, I, I think it's funny when you ask me that because I, I never turn it off. You know, even if I'm even if I'm visiting somewhere just for um, uh, just to relax, if it's if I'm vacationing, I'm always thinking. I'm always thinking, how did they do that? How did they build that sidewalk that way? And look at that piece of public art, and I wonder how that happened. I'm a policy thinker. I always think that um, policy really matters. Um, getting uh, getting some legislation around doing it right really matter. So I always try to go a little bit deeper. I'm like, you can take something for granted that looks beautiful, but you think about how did it actually get to that point and how did the community come together? Um, with 
the, the trips to Youngstown, the trips to Atlanta, I think we all came out of some of our conference sessions thinking, how do we scale it down to Erie? Because some of those communities are so large. Um, you know, New York, oh, I don't know if I was in one with New York City, but they were just, the Milwaukee was, mm -hmm. was front and center. How do we scale it down? Because we don't have the same number of people that they have. Um, and, but I, I, I was probably 50-50. I was probably like 50% of the things that I heard, I'm like, oh, you know, Erie's, Erie's on the cusp of doing that, or Erie's already doing that, which is a good thing. Um, and I think in some, I left one of them saying, actually, Erie's doing that a little bit better. And I was able to share what, how we collect information, and they took copious notes, so that was nice. And then there's about 50% where I said, all right, we can, we can kick it up a notch. There, I sat in one on, um, of course, I've not made it back into the office yet, um, so I'll just give everyone, if a code enforcement's listening, um, <laughs> uh, this one, this one uh, session about how code enforcement can be very proactive and help with rental uh, re rental units and it was it was fascinating it was a very it was a, a sort of that carrot um, kind of mentality of how do we do more outreach and support for our, for our landlords um, not always being on the on the regulatory side and and, and the uh, more heavy-handed but looking at it from both ways and you have to do both I get that but so I think that you know I usually leave there um, with a, a sense that there is this, that Erie is on the right path. We have a lot of the right players. It's, um, uh, but we can always do more. There's mm -hmm. nothing that I ever, I, there's no place I've ever gone and said, no, we're, we're done. We've got it all right. So I sat in one session and there was an older African American woman and she was in a wheelchair I called her mother Moore. And when they talked to her about the work she's doing in her neighborhood, she's an advocate, she's a resident of a particular area in Atlanta, and she kept referring to the plan. And when people would ask her, what do you want to see happen in your neighborhood? And she would hold up the plan and she said, have you read the plan? Have you read the plan? She would go in front of city council, have you read the plan? I thought that was very savvy for a resident to have a heightened sense of appreciation for having a plan for your neighborhood. And she said something that I will never forget. She said, there's a plan for your neighborhood already. It's just whether or not your voices are included in that plan. Mm. And so best practices, be involved with the process. So when you look at you know, these different sessions, compared to what you do in your areas, I know that you exchange best practices amongst yourselves all the time. But when you go to these areas, what do you take away versus the work that you do in your own neighborhoods? Either one, feel free to start. You mean when we go to the conferences? Yes. Or the, yeah. Uh, similar to what Kathy said, I think that always I'm looking to see, I'm tying to something something that I'm seeing done to a need that I know is in my neighborhood, and then trying to figure out how to get there. Um, I think going back to the plan issue, I picked up a lot of really interesting. Um, it's not that it was so much spoken. I think like you, like you said with with uh, the woman that you were talking to. It seems to be the community engagement piece is one that you cannot um, ignore or skirt or, or get around. I think that whether you're doing it uh, just as a day-to-day -day relationship where you're, you're meeting people on their front porch or if you actually have a survey like it's been having here, um, that was a big takeaway that in all the sessions that I went to, if they were talking about a successful program, it involved community neighborhood input and it wasn't even necessarily a formal plan um, survey it was something where they just kind of op had a pop-up kind of uh, 
opportunity for people to stop in and say what they were interested in. So I think that that, that was very validating because I think that we're trying really hard from mm -hmm. what I know of all of the neighborhood groups to do that. And it seemed like even though some of the scale, some of the scale of these cities and these projects are huge i mean if we're if we're following the same best practices like that mm -hmm. i think that there's we're on the right track and what you see versus what you do when you go to conferences like that what does that look like for you yeah. um i think many of the same things that kathy and, and heather have already pointed to um one of the things that that struck me coming out of atlanta was hearing actually from some of our counterparts on the other side of the state um uh, in eastern pennsylvania um talking about how they've really dug in and solved some of the issues of entrenched poverty in their community. Um, and, and this particular speaker said something that, that, that really just resonated, which is he, he convened a group of people from different sectors, nonprofit, private, public, um, and kind of agreed with them. Everybody kind of came together and agreed that together they could take more risk than each of their individual organizations could on their own. Um, and that risk-taking was going to be a piece of solving the issues in their community. Um, and I, I really, I, I felt that because I feel like that is what we are doing through organizations like the Erie Neighborhood Growth Partnership um, and other, other work that, that's happening here in Erie. Um, but that the way he described that really, I think, you know, that, that rang true to us because we do have to take some risk. We do have to borrow some ideas and apply them locally um, here. Um, I would also just say, you know, just in terms of going on these conferences, it's really helpful for me um, to visually see neighborhoods um, in other places because it helps you, give, it, it gives you some perspective on, um, you know, how we're faring as a community. Right. Um, in Atlanta, one of the things that I was really struck by um, is, you know, the, I, I don't think we've reached the, the lows that some of the Atlanta neighborhoods have experienced, and we also have been insulated from some of the the, the rapid escalation in prices that are posing that's posing some problems for for na many neighborhoods there, um, so that helped uh, you know just it helps to kind of put things in perspective. Like we're not we're, you know we're doing pretty well as a community. Our neighborhoods are they're 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 strong. They can be stronger, um, but but we don't have to deal with quite the level of decimation that that um, some some communities elsewhere in the country are. I grew up in the R West Bayfront area, mm -hmm. and you know I'll be honest as I got older. You know, I was one of those people who listened to, you know, we have to have a plan for the city. We have to have a plan for our neighborhood. And I was, all, you know, it, my eyes would roll like, come on, you know, can't you just let life happen? Everything doesn't need a plan. And on this side of the equation now, I'm like, I get it. I understand the necessity to really be intentional on where are we going as a neighborhood, as a city, as a community? Are you finding yourselves having to really explain and help your residents appreciate the process in that same manner? Um, I don't think so. No? Uh, no, I think as long as they're involved. I think though we also have to remember to be, to remain flexible. Yeah. Because I think- um, The living document thing that you talked yeah, about. Yeah, you can have a plan and you can decide this is what we're gonna do with this property or this lot. And then you're sitting there day after day and watching everybody use it in a different way and mm -hmm. you realize that in spite of what they told you or what you had somebody come in and help you design, it really, you know, the the user is is not using it that way. So to be able to be flexible about that, and and some of the most exciting things have come 
from that. You know, you start with the plan, but if you don't remain nimble and open to changing things on the fly, too. I think some of the most, our, our farmer's market and the growth that we've seen, that's just an example where, you know, you plan it and you have no idea um, how it's going to happen until in the moment and, and Monday after Monday, people coming and using it one way and you just have to evolve mm -hmm. with it. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, with the living document, several surveys have been done and you've got a chance to analyze the data of many of these surveys. Give us some of the aha moments that you've experienced after information comes back from these comprehensive neighborhood surveys? Well, the, the area that we have surveyed the most since coming into office has, of course, been the area that you're working in, Marcus. Um, and one of the things, a couple of things that have struck us as those people who are out there knocking on doors is the amount that people live in these neighborhoods for a very long time. And they may not always live in the same house, but if they move, if they tend to be transient, they don't actually move out of the neighborhood too often. There's a, there's, so there is a strong sense of, of ownership of where people live. And that, we, we went in thinking that that would not be the case, but there's people who, who've long, who live there longer than five, 10 years, um, and that was surprising. Another thing, particularly during the Summer of Hope, which led to what eventually became the community health census, which was another survey, was that we would we initially did a survey of just the built environment, trying to figure out what people wanted in sidewalks and lighting and of course crime and parks. And we were left with realizing because you're standing on someone's porch talking to them face to face, that there's something much more deep happening with them and keeping them in a life of poverty. And we, we all left saying we need to do more than just ask these 15 questions. It doesn't go far enough and it's a lot like what probably happened with, with the Sisters of St. Joseph looking at the issues of health and the social determinants of health, that that's really where a lot of the focus has to be is you have to help people better their lives um, if they're struggling with addiction or mental health or um, an ailment that keeps them from fully living a, a full life. Um, that wasn't necessarily something that we thought we would focus on, but after the first round of surveys, we said, no, we need to go deeper. And you can't do that just assuming. You actually have to go and meet with the people a little bit more. And New Americans and refugees, that's a population that, that is, can be challenging to get around a table because that's not necessarily how they interact and there's a lot, lack of trust but we've been doing a, a very a very concerted effort to get their voices heard and understand the struggles that they're having in this in this community um, and then uh, going back to the process I just want to say very quickly what we're finding as we go through these planning processes is that once people see the information you're finding as a community, they, they appreciate it. They realize, oh, it's not just me that thinks that. Right. <laughs> it is like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, they see some, they see benefit in going to some of these meetings and answering the questions. Um, so we, I'm finding that people are not as reluctant once they kind of see some commonality and they see like you did, mm -hmm. the benefit of planning is, is really there and, mm -hmm. and actually documenting what the community supports and what it won't. Heather talked about the user sort of dictating, you know, the outcome in terms of how this plays out. You did work on a park in your area, Bayview Park, which is heavily 
attended by neighborhood kids. You ride by, it's one of the most vibrant parks in the city. Talk about the work that you did in that park and just some of the reasoning behind going after that. Um, so the work at Baby, Baby Park was identified in our plan as one of key, uh, um, three key focus areas within the West Bayfront neighborhoods. So um, right after our West Bayfront um, began operations, we started to survey um, park users and survey members of the community. Um, just to dig down a little bit more, I mean, there was a very pretty picture that was included in the Our West Bayfront plan of what Bayview Park could look like, um, but we knew we needed to get a better sense directly from, from park users on specifically what amenities people would like to see, how people use that park, and how they would like to use it. Um, so we put together a very user-friendly survey that, you know, kids age four to senior citizens could, they could all use the same sur survey, um, and asked, yeah, what would you like to see and how would you like to use the park? Um, and we got some great feedback on specific improvements that people would like to see, but also what I think what was most interesting is some of the, the non-physical amenities um, in terms of pe people really wanted more activities and events. Um, they really used that park as a place to come together. Um, and so things that could support that. Um, so we took that to the city and started conversations with them, um, and that led um, over time to a, a, a master plan being developed for the park, which helped us work with the city to get funding for some significant improvements, like the installation of the splash pad um, this past July, um, like the improvements to the, the tennis courts, like the benches, which I haven't been back in the office yet either, but I'm hoping the benches have been installed since, since we were down in Atlanta. Um, and we're, we're not done there. We're hoping to continue that work. Um, but you know, it's interesting just to go back to your, your previous question about the plan. I mean, so the plan, our plan, you know, calls for this work. Mm -hmm. We have two other major parks within our community, um, and that's to me the challenge because we would love to do that level of attention all at once, all across. Right. But the plan says we got to start here, and we will get there. And and so that's where I feel, you know, not a question of why we need a plan, but you know, a little bit of attention of why aren't we yet working on those other parks? And it's, we're gonna get there, but it, we only have so much capacity, we only have so much money, and it takes time to, to get there. Mm -hmm. So for people that are listening, we'll start with you, Heather, as we kind of move towards the finish line of this show. For people that want to get involved, what would you say to people that say, hey, I see a lot, a lot of things going on, I don't feel like my voice is being heard. What do you say to people who are thinking about getting involved with their neighborhoods but haven't yet taken the step to do so? I think if you just understand that there's every level of engagement, that's equally important. If you are somebody who can dedicate every Monday to come serving at the soup kitchen, that's fantastic and great, but that's a huge commitment too. Um, you know, if you don't even live in my neighborhood or Anna's neighborhood, but you have family ties there, you have any reason um, to feel emotionally invested in the neighborhood, then absolutely stop in and call that at that neighborhood organization level because even if it's just a community cleanup day or if it's you know coming to National Night Out, there's every level of engagement and it's every voice is really important. There's something that I think that we're always striving for is to get more and more and more voices and hear from more people because then it's a more well-rounded well picture that we're getting. And so I think don't be intimidated by some people who you see uh, everywhere and see doing everything and, and helping out with every project. Because if you can come one day out of the year 
that's important. Excellent point. And I add to that. Yeah. I mean, one of some of the favorite phone calls I have is when someone calls me up and just says, you know, I've heard a little bit about the Sour West Bayfront, but what's, what's this about? And that's all they want. They just want to have a conversation and learn more. Um, that, that, that is never a nuisance. That is a, a call I always welcome because um, we need to get the word out and we need to hear from people about what's, what's important to them. And Kathy, I'm sure you would say, ask not what your city can do for you. I'm just joking. What do you say to people uh, in terms of getting involved? Because right now there's a lot of activity and you get a chance to interface with people from all over the city on conversations like this. When they approach you, concerns or they're thinking about getting involved, what do you say to people um, about why they should get involved with everything they're seeing and hearing about? I think, I, you know, I like what Heather said. There's always an opportunity to get involved, even if it's not specific to your neighborhood. Just volunteer for, for one thing a year, just so you learn what's going on in your community. It's a great way to meet people, um, but it's also an excellent way to see how this community can come together. And we do. We do it in, a, in, in so many ways. Um, but I would say that it's, it's vital to understand that your community is doing a lot. We've all often talk about, I wish there was a way we could show all the things that we're doing. We keep trying to spend time just to put something together to say, to say look, see, we are, we're actually doing a lot of things well. Um, but I think the easiest way is just to, to volunteer, to come to a festival, come to an event, help with a cleanup, even if it's not in your neighborhood, just to see what this community can do when it comes together. Mm -hmm. I know you mentioned very, very quickly, you mentioned before that uh, planners have to be patient people because this is the long game. For, for people who don't have an understanding of what it looks like to try to refocus a city and move it forward, the timeline loosely that you look at for things like this is normally about what? I always tell anyone that if whatever you think you can do in three years is probably going to take you five, and whatever you think you're going to do in five years is probably going to take you ten. Um, so we have so many things going on in this community. Everyone's got their own timeline, but I always try to say, let's be patient. Let's do this right. Let's not move before we're ready to move. Um, and there's a lot of people say, well, we just got to do something. And I keep reminding myself, we are doing so many things. It just takes, it can take a long time before you see that shovel in the ground. Every, a lot of things that we're working on has taken, has been taken, has taken years to get there. Bayview Park, I remember very well during the planning process years ago that that was a concept. And it just, it just takes a long time before right, you can get it. But let's do it right. <laughs> Kathy Rosdick. Heather Casper, Anna France, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your knowledge, your wisdom for the positions that you hold, and thank you for your dedication to our city. Uh, thank you to our sponsors as well of Next Infinity Resources, the Erie County DA's office, and the Robert Benjamin Wiley Community Charter School. We want to thank you for tuning in to Next on WQLN. Join us next month as we explore another timely topic with local guests. For radio, tune in to 91.3 FM on the fourth Sunday of the month at 4 p.m. Uh, for Next, I'm Marcus Atkinson. We will see you all next time. Mm -hmm.